0: Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Good Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, LinkedIn as Luis Plaza. And I have an email address, which is at outlook.com. So either via social media or via email, you can send any feedback, any topic suggestions. They are always welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. Thank you for all the support. And if you are looking to learn more about antibiotics, I invite you to check out the learnantibiotics.com website and the Learn Antibiotics book, which is available on Amazon. And this is by Dr. Timothy Gauthier, a pharmacist that's very involved in the community. I had the opportunity to check out the book and the website. There is great information. And these resources, you know, they include cheat sheets, practice tests, games, and more. And they are being used by thousands of people worldwide. And they may help you or your colleagues. So definitely, I invite you to check out these wonderful resources. Now, if you haven't checked out the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. It was about streptococcus pneumoniae testing. And that was a part of, you know, some episodes that were released early on the podcast. And now they're being re-released because, you know, it is great information. And now that the podcast has more listeners, you know, there's more reception. I think it is good to release this content. So it helps students and even, you know, it functions as a refresher even if you are already working in the field. So in that episode, I talk about urine antigen testing for streptococcus pneumoniae, I talk about molecular testing, and more. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. And today's episode is about enterococcus. So this is an episode that was originally published as episode 53, and it was part of our two episodes. Episode 54 was about VRE tests and media. And episode 53 was about enterococcus, about morphology. So in this episode, I go ahead and, like I said, I talk about morphology. I go over different species of enterococcus. I talk about genes that confer resistance to vancomycin. And I also talk about making sure that, you know, I talk about hemolysis. And being careful when you see something hemolytic, like a beta-hemolytic strep, on your PEA plate that it can be misleading. So you shouldn't be performing any strep typing on PEA. And be careful that while you can have some species of enterococcus that, can, that are actually beta-hemolytic, a lot of times enterococcus being gamma-hemolytic, when you put it on PEA, it can look beta. So it can be misleading and you shouldn't be performing any typing. But overall, you know, it was a great episode, great content. I invite you to check out episode 54 for B R E tests and media as well. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So on today's episode, I want to go over enterococcus. So enterococcus is a gram-positive cocci in pairs and chains. It was previously classified as a strep, but as the molecular field makes advances, you know, we discovered that some organisms have enough differences to others that can place them in their own group. And those of you that work in micro... Uh, you know, some of the older texts, you know, they say, and it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but at the same time, it's kind of not, not, that they used to say, you know, that everything was called Pseudomonas. You know, you have Pseudomonas aeruginosa, Pseudomonas cepacea, uh Pseudomonas maltophilia, And as more testing is done, the species, you know, started being separated. So now we have Porcalderia, we have Stenotrophomonas. So the same with this, you know, before it used to be part of the strep and now it is, it is on its own category. So enterococcus, it has its own group. So enterococcus is the colonizer of the gastrointestinal tract. It is definitely predominant in this area. And it is also found in the oral tract, female genital tract and skin. They are commonly seen in polymicrobial infections. And remember, like in several episodes, I always talk about this mix infections when you have several organisms. And it is very typical to see, you know, to, sometimes some of these infections see two or three enterobacteriales, some non fermenters And enterococcus almost always it's involved in that mix. So when when the textbooks say that enterococcus is, you know, it's seen in boiling microbial infections, that is a definite fact. A lot of times when you see it, It's mixed with other organisms. So enterococcus is seen in urinary tract infections or UTIs, bacteremia, endocarditis, and soft tissue infections. And this is an interesting fact. Uh, You know, they are considered one of the leading causes of UTIs, or urinary tract infections, and bacteremia in the United States. Most infections are nosocomial and include the ones that I just mentioned. It is transmitted from person-to-person contact and also contact with contaminated surfaces. You know, nosocomial, we keep hearing nosocomial infections. Hospital acquired and those of you that work in the hospital, you know, how important it is to wash your hands, you know, change gloves between patients and, you know, washing your hands, washing your hands and doing it. So, you know, doing it properly. And be careful, especially now in this era where the phones have made such a great advance and pretty much all of us have one and we're always looking at it. Make sure you clean that. You definitely know enough, and if you work in micro, you know a lot about organisms and you know that a lot of these organisms, they definitely survive in hospital equipment. So the cleaning and disinfection of these is very important. And if you touch any of this equipment, make sure you wash your hands properly. That's very important. Always going you know, to decontaminate your surfaces and wash your hands. There are many species of Enterococcus. Uh, the most common and clinically significant being Enterococcus faecalis and Enterococcus facium. And then other species encountered are Enterococcus gallinarum, Casliflavus, Raffinosus, and Avium, Avium, among others. So there are many more of these, but however, after and facium, avium, Galinarum, castelclavus, and raffinosis, those are the ones that you will see the most. So let's go ahead and start with morphology. So like I said, this is a gram-positive cocci in pairs and chains. It is catalase-negative. And let's go ahead and talk about catalase for a moment. You know, when it comes to catalase and enterococcus, I always like to take a, take a minute and talk about it because it is catalyst negative, but however, it has what textbooks describe as a weak positive or delayed reaction. And what's this? Well, when you touch the colonies, when the colonies become in contact with the catalyst reagent, maybe after a second or so, you see some tiny bubbles and this is considered a negative reaction. Whereas when you have organisms like staph, you know, like staph aureus, the colonies come in contact with the catalase and you see an immediate and very strong reaction and that's a positive. So make sure you keep that in mind. And I like to stress this out to the students because when they are taking some sort of practical test and or they're working on unknown and they see the colonies, they go ahead and do a catalase, they see the tiny bubbles and then they, they think it's positive and then they start working it as if it was, to, say, a staff. And that is wrong. So, you know, with the reactions, always commit what the colonies look like to mine. That way, even if you get that weak, questionable reaction, you're like, wait a minute. Something is not right here. You know, I like to talk about colony morphology. The Staff colonies are always large, flat. Strep colonies and enterococcus colonies, you know, they are small and raised so that's something to keep in mind that way when a reaction goes wrong or you have a questionable result you know that something is off but i have seen this with students where they work it up and then they end up saying that their unknown was a a negative staff because they had the catalyst reaction and they call it positive so students please remember this that type of reaction is actually a negative reaction. So now that we know that it's catalase is negative, what's the next test? So it is the PYR. Do you remember the PYR? Well, if you don't, if you need a refresher, go ahead and check out episode 7 of this podcast. I go over in detail about the PYR test. But those of you that work in micro, you know you know the PYR test and it is positive for enterococcus very simple test right so and always remember that as far as strep and enterococcus goes streptococcus pyogenes is pyr positive so these are the only two that are positive streptococcus pyogenes and enterococcus pyr positive so it is a very simple test very simple to set up you know in a couple of minutes you get a result so, but nowadays, you know, with the ViTech and the Molotov, you know, this is pretty much what, you know, technologists do in the lab. They probably put it, you know, through the Molotov. So you don't do the PYR test that much, you know, because you identify your colonies via the use of Molotov. If you don't have a Molotov, then you definitely use the PYR as a, you know, as your as part of your differential when you're working up the colonies. And you will set up the idea via ViTech or another method. But yeah, as you know with the Molotov, a lot of the biochemicals are not being done anymore. You know, I don't like this, but that's a conversation for another day. So let's go ahead and talk about morphology. Well, like I mentioned, the colonies are raised and small, unlike staff that are large and flat. So... Enterococcus faecalis is gamma hemolytic. Some strains are actually beta hemolytic. So you might have, sometimes you know, you might find yourself in a situation where you have a beta hemolytic colony and you're doing your PYR and it's positive and then you're, you're typing and it's negative. And you're like, wait a minute, especially if you're like a brand new tech, you know, very or a student, you might be confused because you're like, well, it's PYR positive but it's not typing, it's like, what do I do? So it's always good to keep in mind that some strains of enterococcus fecalis are beta hemolytic. And I like to repeat the fact that don't confuse this beta hemolysis with the fact that some species of enterococcus fecalis, they will look beta hemolytic on PEA. The ones that I'm talking about that are true beta hemolytic, you will see it on the blood agar plate, which is the plate that you use to determine hemolysis and I mentioned that you should not use PEA to determine hemolysis and you also shouldn't use it to type. So this is very important when you're getting to do a strip typing make sure that the blood plate is the blood agar plate. You can actually get false results if you attempt typing from the PEA and I have seen this. And then, the other, the other clinically significant species, you know, the other one that's seen the most, it's enterococcus facium, like I said, and it is alpha hemolytic. However, keep in mind that when I say alpha hemolysis, it is not like the type of hemolysis that you will see in, let's say, Strep pneumo, or maybe the viridans strep where you see, you know, the whole agar green. The morphology, the alpha hemolysis for enterococcus facium is that you see the colonies are gray and then you have like an alpha halo around them, so always keep that in mind. To me, it just looks like fecalis but with a little halo on it a little alpha halo, so that's a good way to keep it in mind. But just remember that yes, that the, the, the hemolysis is not the same as you will see on strep or a streptococcus pneumoniae. So now you know catalyst negative, PYR positive alpha hemolytic for Enterococcus facium, and gamma hemolytic for Enterococcus faecalis. So let's go ahead and talk about media. Well, you know, Enterococcus, and before I do that, let me mention that all the other species that I mentioned, they are typically alpha hemolytic as well. So let's talk about media. It grows well on blood, chocolate, and PEA. It is a facultative anaerobe, so it will grow on an anaerobic blood agar plate or a CDC agar and you get a, a good recovery from your basic aucker. You know, they're pretty good. I like to call them team players when it comes to making suspensions for susceptibilities, you know, for that McFarlane, that 0.5. For it, you know, for them being smaller colonies, you don't need that many to get that nice 0.5 suspension. So as far as identifying it, methods like the Vitek, Molotov, and Micros can work you know they will identify it with a high confidence rate and there are some kits that can provide you an identification with about 4 hours but they tend to be subjective i don't i'm not a fan of them i know that they tend to be cost effective especially for smaller facilities and that you don't have a high volume maybe you don't have the capacity to store a lot of of supplies so they tend to work yes but sometimes you know those reactions, you're calling them a positive or a negative, and then if you're unsure, maybe you put a, a star on it, maybe change the results. So you kind of, in a way, I, are kind of like tailoring the results a little bit to get what you need. So I'm not really a fan of that. So it is definitely best if you have a Vitek, a you know a MALDI a microscan. It is definitely best if you identify them by those methods. And of course, you know, nucleic and PCR methods such as the Luminex, you know, BioFire, and Eplex, they will identify Fecalis and Phasium. And, you know, these methods are typically used for blood cultures. And some of them will even detect genes that confer resistance for vancomycin, such as VAN A and VAN B. And I will talk more about those. So I mentioned that, you know, Enterococcus, more specifically, Fecalis and Fasium are frequently seen in nosocomial infections. So, of course, nosocomial being hospital-acquired. So, these organisms, they affect hospitalized patients and patients that are immunosuppressed. It is a colonizer of the GI tract. So, one of the main concerns is that some strains have acquired a resistance to vancomycin. And vancomycin is a glycopeptide that targets the cell wall of gram-positive bacteria. For the time being, let's just leave it at that At some point in time in the podcast, I will talk about antibiotics, but for now, just know the basic definition of what vancomycin is. So according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, in 2017, VRE, or vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, caused an estimated 54,500 infections in hospitalized patients and 5,400 estimated deaths in the U.S. And according to the ASM Manual of Clinical Microbiology, nine types of resistance to glypo- glycopeptides have been described. And there are three that are the most common. VAN-A, VAN-B, and VAN-C. So throughout this episode on the next one, you'll hear me talking about VAN-A, VAN-B, A, VAN and VAN-C. So they are encoded by genes with the same name. So out of the three... Van C encodes for a low-level resistant resistance, minimum inhibitory concentration of less than 32. Whereas van A and Van B result in MICs greater than 32 micrograms per ml. those are the units. And like I like to say, when you are looking at you know, your minimal inhibitory concentrations, the Clinical Laboratory Standards Institute, you know the CLSI M100. It's you know, a resource where all you know, the organisms are listed with the MICs as far as you know susceptible, intermediate, resistance. So it is a great resource. You know All the labs have it. And of course, you can always find it online. You just go Google or another search, search engine and type free CLSI N100, and you can find it there. So MIC is greater than 32 for VAN A and VAN B. And those of you that actually are, you know, doing, working with the ViTech, you know, you see that when it's greater than 32, the instrument flags it and say, you know, you have a VRE there, a vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. So another fact is that enterococcus facium tends to be associated with VRE more than faecalis. And keep in mind that when you are reading a culture and you do a susceptibility, and you get a result that's a VRE, make sure you check your purity plate. Also check the patient's history. You know, a lot of times when you have, you know, like I mentioned, enterococcus is seen in mixed cultures. So if when you were setting up your suspension for susceptibility, if you grab maybe some of that gram-negative ROM or some of a yeast if you had it there, you might be having a false positive result. And by false positive, I mean a false resistant result so always make sure when you have vres make sure you check the period plate and for those of you that are fairly new to this profession or are studying when you set up susceptibilities you know you make your suspension you set up the susceptibility either by a manual or automatic method and especially when you're doing automated methods you do a period play which is basically you get a loop and you dip it in your solution and you streak a plate. And you just want to make sure that your suspension was not contaminated. So go ahead and check it out when you have a VRE. I like to say this because I have seen it with sometimes, you know, like a new text. They call something VRE. And then you go to the plate and you see that there was a lot of yeast around or a lot of ground negatives around. And then when you investigate and check the purity plate, you see that it was mixed. So, please be careful with this. Out of the other species that I've mentioned, Enterococcus gallinarum and Cassiloflavus, they exhibit a low level of intrinsic resistance to vancomycin. And this is by the VanC gene. So, typically when you have those in the lab, and by a low level intrinsic resistance, it's about 4 to 8 micrograms per ml. Whereas the other, you know, facium they are greater than 32. And those typically, when you have them, you release the you know, you result with some sort of statement saying, these two organisms, they exhibit a low level of intrinsic resistance to vancomycin. infection control measures are not required, something along those lines. So are there any methods to screen and isolate VREs? Yes, there are. And I will talk more about these ...on the next episode. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about Enterococcus... As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. Thank you for the support. As always, you know, please continue downloading episodes and sharing Let's Talk Micro with co-workers, students and friends. Please continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. And of course, you know, stay tuned. Great things coming your way. As always, stay motivated stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro until the next time. Bye.